0: I'm so excited for this episode. Welcome to Age Thoughtfully. I'm your host, Marissa Kennerson, and today we are talking about the pelvic floor. This is like my dream kind of episode for Age Thoughtfully because it's one of those an ounce of prevention kind of things. If you follow what my lovely guest, Melissa Nasoni says, you will, you'll feel better. And that is what Age Thoughtfully is all about. And if you're experiencing pain or discomfort, maybe you'll learn something new and have this wonderful resource in Melissa that you didn't have before. Either way, I'm just so excited to bring this information to you. All right. Healthy pelvic floors, everybody. So Melissa Nasony, she is a physical therapist and women's health educator, educator. She is the menopause maven on Instagram and a maven she is. As a woman's health advocate for over 30 years and a board certified women's health clinical specialist, Melissa has been helping women of all ages from menses to menopause and beyond manage their pelvic health recover from childbirth or surgery, and regain bladder, bowel control while they get back to their optimal level of fitness function. It really it really hit me that the pelvic floor is the basis of everything. So if we don't have issues, we're lucky, but uh, sounds like we, we gotta do these exercises, everybody. We gotta do these kegels. I think it might be pronounced kegels. Melissa's obsession with women's health began when she taught her first exercise class for women at 18 years old. Years later, during her first pregnancy, she experienced her own pelvic health issues. She talks about this on the pod and how alone she felt and the information was not out there. She was she had to take responsibility and just figure out for her own recovery figure out what to do. Um, It took her two years, she'll tell the story, to fully recover. With her second baby, she describes childbirth not being any kinder to her pelvic floor. She realized that she was in the same boat with an even more difficult recovery ahead. Gratefully, she learned about women's physical therapy and became whole again. Immediately, she vowed to advocate for pelvic health. All right, let's all advocate for pelvic health. Let's do this. This is for men. This is for women. This episode is mostly geared and uh, towards women but we talk about the male anatomy and uh, my men's folks you got a pelvic floor too and you need to take care of it as well so without further ado i give you melissa nasony If you enjoy the Age Thoughtfully programming, you will love my one-on-one individualized coaching program. You are a gorgeous, living, breathing human being with a desire for something better. You are a miracle. Every effort you make to feel better has a powerful feedback loop. Your body wants to feel better. Your brain wants to stay flexible. That spark of desire you have is your being whispering its deep desire. The fact that you can even have this desire to be better, to have more, means it is meant for you. How can I help? I will listen to you and meet you where you are. Wherever you are is the perfect place to start. We'll go over my aging model, brain, body, purpose, creativity, community, pleasure, and identify where you need to grow to feel your absolute best. I will partner with you as you start this new journey. Don't be afraid. Be excited. Every effort you make is going to give back tenfold. If you're tired of feeling confused about where you are going in life, sick of not making time to create the thing, Bleak, insecure, and uncomfortable in your body, book a discovery call with me. I'm here to help and I'm so excited to meet you. Go to my website, agethoughtfully.com, and book a free 45 minute discovery call. If you feel compelled, just do it. Don't overthink it. Something I have finally learned myself. Can't wait to meet you. Hello, Melissa.
1: Hello. Welcome to the Age Thoughtfully podcast. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here.
0: I'm so happy you're here. And it was funny. I was preparing for the interview, and I thought, I don't even know what I don't know on this subject of the (laughs) pelvic floor, so I I did my best.
1: (laughs) So can you tell us what you do? Yeah. So I am a pelvic floor physical therapist, and basically what that means is I really focus in on anything to do with pelvic health and rehab. And that can range from working with people who are dealing with incontinence, um, constipation, pelvic pain, sexual dysfunction, Um, but it could be pertaining to, you know, anything like activities, um, um, going to the gym, Um, yeah, just even going from sit to stand sometimes or or jumping on the trampoline with their kids. Um, And how did you come to specialize in the pelvic floor? Well, I started out with my own issues with pelvic floor stuff. Always, right? That's how we always... (laughs) It was an eye opener. So um, during my first pregnancy, I experienced um, what's called pubic symphysis dysfunction or separation. So you have two pubic bones um, in the front, like two two, um, pelvic... Bones that connect in the front at the pubic area, and when um, the hormones start to change during pregnancy, and then the you know the your anterior weight in your your belly starts to change, um, that starts to kind of pull away at the that seam. Um, and it can be very very painful, and so it was really difficult for me to walk and move around um, towards the end of my pregnancy. So it's my first pregnancy, you know. We, think everything's going to be, you know, great. And then and you heard of this happening. Never heard of it before. I'm like, oh my gosh, is it? I mean, I was teaching high, low impact aerobics up to the end. So like, maybe it was that. Um, but after I delivered, like delivery went fine. Um, and after I delivered, I couldn't walk. So it took me like three months just to self heal myself. And, um, the doctors, they were like, well, you know, we're not sure what to do. Um, you know, do you need a walker? And at that point I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what I need. Um, and so, you know, time goes by, it really took about two full years to really recover. Um, and was it like shooting pain or in that area? Yep. Shooting pain, a lot of clunking, like I would just roll over in bed and you would hear clunk. Um, and I couldn't shift weight onto one leg, so it's almost like I had to do a shuffling walk uh, around my house at least for the first three months. And I would just try to increase my my stamina and tolerance to the discomfort just by like walking up and down my driveway, um, you know. And I would count how many times I could get there. And with a newborn, yes, with a newborn, and then carrying the newborn with me was even worse. So. You know, when they're little, you can't really put them in a stroller. I couldn't even push the stroller. Um, And then to carry the weight of the newborn on top of my pelvis was brutal, but um, I got through it. And so, how did you heal yourself? Just with that endurance building or? Yeah, just endurance training myself. Um, My background is exercise uh, uh, science. So, I was a physical therapist assistant at the time. So, I I wasn't. really trained in in, um, diagnosis and and that kind of um, aspect of of looking at the body. Um, So I just trained myself basically based on what I already knew. And then when I went to PT school, um, we had an introduction to women's health course. And in that course is when um, the instructor explained about pubic symphysis dysfunction. And she also explained that you can have physical therapy for it and I was like, what? I could have been treated. So I, um, you know, I looked more into it. And, you know, it just brought in my horizons to even know that there was a whole um, genre of, of physical therapy that was specific for women's health and pelvic health. Um, and I just immediately fell in love with it. And I also said, you know, I, I want to help other women who are Going through the same thing during their pregnancy and um, you know, just be that resource for them. And so that's what I've done ever since.
0: Okay, so um well, I think we'll get we'll come back to dysfunction and all the things mm. we can do, but let's start with what is the pelvic floor?
1: Sure. Um <clears throat> so oh, you know, I don't do oh that's right. We're we're in a podcast, I don't need my pelvic model. So, no, um, you can show me. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> um, so the pelvic floor, if you think of the area that you're sitting on right now, you, you're sitting on your two sits bones, um, and then you know where your tailbone is, and you know and, on the back side, and you know where your your pubic bone is on the front side. Our pelvic floor spans that whole space, that whole area, and then it has multiple layers. So the first layer, the more superficial layer, the one that we tend to see more if we're taking a peek down there. Um, that is the layer that we we understand the concept of you know pooping peeing having sex right in those in that area or in orgasm um and so that's one layer it it acts very much like sphincters so they're very sphincteric in other words they try to close the openings um, when we actively con- contract those muscles in order to stop the flow of urine until we're in the right place at the right time. Same thing with stool, till we're in the right place at the right time. And then for sexual appreciation and and orgasm. So- And that's all pelvic floor muscles. Yeah. Wow. That's all pelvic floor. And then miraculously, there is another layer. So if you kind of move up into the pelvis a little bit more, like one layer in uh, up, um, that is called the levator ani collectively um, but really if you looked at the a pelvis, um, and I definitely encourage everybody to take a look cause it's just, it's amazing. You know, you can just Google it on, um, you know, pictures, uh, but, um, that layer you see kind of spans across that bowl. Um, and I always try to explain the pelvic, the pelvis, like a bowl. Um, and then that expansion of those pelvic muscles, that's our stability component. So now that internal, um, Layer of pelvic floor muscles offers stability to the pelvis because it is like a a, a, a little bit of a moving structure. Um,
0: wow! So we've got um, the the pelvis, the bone structure, mm-hmm. and then we've got the form.
1: So,
0: yeah, yeah. And then um, we've got the vulva and the butt. Yeah,
1: and the perineum and the yeah. whole thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So. All of that is your pelvis and the, the, the vulvar is part of, you know, the perineum and the vulvar all all in one kind of thing. Um, those that's basically, you know, you have muscles that surround the vulva. So that's part of that layer, the first layer of pelvic floor muscles. And then the perineum is kind of the area where, um, the the muscles that wrap around the vagina and around the rectum kind of meet in the middle, so to speak. I, yeah, I like to describe it like a figure eight. And so if you think of a figure eight, you know, put the vagina in the top part and the rectum in the bottom part, you know, and and that little crisscross area in the middle, that's the perineum. And so that's, you know, when we get the squeezing effect, um, when we're trying to hold back urine, when we laugh, cough and sneeze, that's our doer contracting those muscles and those layers.
0: It's so inter- interesting. Um, so I did a pelvic floor workshop with yeah. um, one of my yoga, yoga instructors, Stacy Jackson, who nice. was the first guest on the show a while ago. Oh, <laughs> and, gosh, um great. We we sat on a gorgeous ball. Yeah. And then we did like a, a, a clock, like sort of yes. tilting around. And wow. she talked about taking a breath starting in the pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. Well, when I went back to do Kegels after that, I, I, everything, I just... I can't believe how long I can hold my pee now. Yay. And is that connected? Since I've been doing this for a couple of months, yes. breath into the pelvic floor, kegels have gotten so much stronger. Yes.
1: But then I'm like, wow, I don't have to pee for hours. And I'm drinking tons of water. Yeah. Is that connected? Probably. Yes, that's all connected. That's exactly what we do in pelvic floor therapy. So the the number one thing really is to gain awareness that your, your pelvic floor exists. It's it's literally, I mean, if you look at the position of where your pelvis is, it's the keystone of our body. Yeah. And we'd pay no attention to it. <laughs> nope. nope. So, you know, day to day, life life tasks to tasks, you know, exercise and this and that and getting kids and shuffling this and shuffling that. We, we don't really pay attention to our pelvic floor. So um, the, the beautiful thing about pelvic floor physical therapy, even if people didn't even have an issue. Um, it's so nice to be able to connect with that space, learn how to optimize the function of it, and then be able to, you know, tap into it whenever you need it. Like we need our pelvic floor for a lifting, for carrying, for um, squatting, for jumping, for running. Uh, we need it for everything we do, but we take it for granted. Yeah, it sounds like something you just don't think about until there's a problem. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but the more we talk about it, the more people are recognizing it. Huh, what's my pelvic floor? And how do I tap into it? And the breath is like the perfect way to start.
0: Yeah, I, I was really excited about that.
1: Yeah. I'm glad you <laughs> um, did that.
0: Yeah, and I do it all the time now. And... um the creating a spa- that space in the area after doing those exercises is, yeah. I, I can't describe it. I want everybody to get a gorgeous ball and and try mm-hmm. this, but it's really expansive and like, yeah. oh, everything feels better.
1: Yeah, it does. Lower I, back, I, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So the one thing to recognize is that the pelvic floor is, is part of a system. It's part of your core. Um, and yeah. And so a lot of times, you know, when we focus on strengthening the core, um, we think of, deep abdominal exercises and planks and stuff like that, which are all great. You know, those are great attributes for core strengthening. However, we usually miss the pelvic floor component. So are we engaging it? Are we not engaging it? Are we just tensing our abdominal wall really, really, really tight? Um, So a lot of times we tend to miss that. And I see that a lot in patients who come to my office and they're like, I've tried Kegels before. They don't work. Or, um, you know, I've had it, I've had physical therapy before. It, it. It didn't work for my back. Um, and so, you know, I look at what they did before. And when I start talking about the pelvic floor and start incorporating that into what they already know for their abdominal work, um, they're like, Oh, I've never felt that before. And so it's almost like an aha moment. They're like, oh, maybe this is what I've been missing when I've been doing all my core work. And then they, yeah. start, mm. they start doing it and then they're, they feel stronger. They have more endurance. They just they feel like, ah, this was, this was the missing piece. And it's so important for women. And
0: I want to get into kegels in a second, big sure. time. But I <laughs> notice now when
1: I do my kegels, I feel it in my
0: lower core. Yeah. When I was younger, it was very localized. yes. Which is interesting. And I think, yeah, that breath work was the bridge to get it into my core, I think. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. So do you want me to discuss kegels? Yeah. Let's talk about, let's pretend no one, they've never heard of kegels. I know y'all
1: have, but let's just pretend, let's start from the beginning. Absolutely. So the the interesting thing about kegels is that when they've done studies, they found out that, um, what people who didn't have any pelvic floor issues, um, 40% of people would perform the Kegels incorrectly. And if they did have pelvic floor issues, then the number rose up to 70% did it incorrectly. So there's always room for a refresher, I think. Um, Yeah, I didn't even know you could do them incorrectly, to be honest. That's a a very big uh, problem. And and that actually stems to one of the reasons why sometimes we have issues with constipation. So um we think my mouth my jaw just dropped uh-oh. everybody i'm
0: i'm just shocked it's so interesting okay
1: yeah so we can get into that later but um so when you think of a kegel we talked about you know the figure eight and we talked about it being sphincteric meaning like they're the, they're those muscles tend to close around in a circular fashion so when we think about the kegel what you want to do is feel and it's attached to the tailbone so when you do your squeeze You're going to feel the area from the tailbone kind of pull in towards the center and maybe a little bit from the front even the clitoral area sometimes that's also pulling into the center and so from your sits bones that you're sitting on tailbone to pubic bone area you're kind of feeling that all coming into the center and lifting up and in and so usually i um, offer a visual for my patients i say just think of a big glass marble and you're putting that glass marble right in that vaginal opening. You're kind of grabbing it on, uh, onto with your muscles and you're just pulling it and lifting it up and in. And is the, um, I'm
0: trying this while i are talking. <laughs> <laughs> is there, um, I find the squeeze is harder than the release. The squeeze can are be they,
1: harder than the release. Are they both valuable? They are both extremely valuable. Okay. But I think I got to work on my squeeze a little bit. Yeah. And so that's the thing. So, you know, depending what your pelvic floor has been through, you know, if you've um, been, if, you, if you're a, a high impact athlete all of your life, or if you've had multiple babies, vaginal deliveries, um, or if you've had pelvic surgeries, your pelvic floor, the state of your pelvic floor muscles are different over time, you know, depending on, on what you, you go through with activities. So what your pelvic floor was capable of before children, I say BC before children um, and, w- and what they are after children, AC, um, it, it can be two very different things. And that's the thing, like what you have now, can it get better? Can, can you have more than what you have now, even if you don't have any issues can you get your pelvic floor better than what it is now? And, and the probability is is there.
0: I believe it because um, I've had one child. Um, mm-hmm. He's 12 now. But I just feel like once I started focusing on this, I didn't have issues, luckily. Yeah. But I'm having fun. I
1: can't believe yeah. how much stronger yes. you can get. Yeah. And I like to talk about excursion. Like, that's another really important factor. Cause you, know, you had mentioned the contraction and the relaxation, like what's important and they both are important. And that gives us that perspective of excursion. So when you lift the pelvic floor, you, you want to have a good rise. You want to kind of feel it lifting up and in. And then when you let go, you want to feel like you're able to voluntarily let it go. So it doesn't have to just drop on its own, but it can, um, you want you almost want the the lift to almost equal the lower, right? So to kind of have control of both of those aspects, and from there you can build on things like endurance or um, repetitions. Um, um, quick flicks. So that's another thing, you know, kegels don't just have to be the contraction, hold, 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 right, we should be working them in a couple of different ways. And so one of them is called an endurance hold. So that's trying to get that lift and hold at a steady state for however many seconds you can do it, maybe it's four seconds, maybe it's seven, right, but you're trying to get that steady and then relax it completely, and then be able to have that repeated. So that, Give us
0: a little program, like what, what would be ideal?
1: Yeah. So so think of it like you have two things going on, um, two ways to train your pelvic floor muscles. So think about like your marathon runners and your sprinters, right? The marathon runners, they tend to be, you know, kind of on the thinner side, not, not always muscular, but their endurance is immaculate, right? So they just can go forever and ever and ever. So for a little program, again, if you're able to feel that lift and lower, just determine where you are right now. So if that's a four-second hold and you can feel yourself hold for the whole second, whole four seconds, and, then do that. And then you just try to add on a couple more seconds every week. And just to clarify, squeezing the marble is the lift? Yep. It's okay. yep, grabbing it and lifting it inward. And then the release is the lowering. Lowering. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So it's coming back to, we call it like neutral or your baseline. Um, So once you're able to, you know, you can pick an arbitrary goal number. There's no, you know, this is the perfect one. I mean, physical therapists, we love to count in tens. So, you know, if you want to do a 10 second hold, that's fine. Um, st- some studies show trying to hold up to 60 seconds. Um, uh, you know, other clinical testing can be 20 seconds. So, you know, I think anywhere between 10 and 20 seconds is a great goal. Um, and that just, that expresses the endurance part of the muscle training. And then the quick squeezes, I You know, like I said, it's more like your sprinters. So they're a little different when they're at that start line, right? So they're definitely a lot more muscular and they have a lot of power behind them. So same thing with those runners, with our pelvic floor muscles, like those are that, that's the aspect of the muscle that we want to train to be more powerful. So when you do a quick squeeze, you want to get a nice grab. So it's like, you're trying to grab that marble and hold it, let go, grab that marble, hold it, let go. And then and you're doing that in more of a, you're training it to be a, a, a quick response. And we need that for times when we, uh, we know we leak a little when we laugh, cough, or sneeze. Because those activities come on really sudden. Um, that involves a huge increase in intra abdominal pressure um, in our belly. So if you think about it, like, we go, <gasps> you know, and <laughs> it's that down there. Mm-hmm, so that downward force causes, you know, a little pressure on the bladder. And if our muscle around the um, urethra isn't ready enough, or fast enough to um, close off that urethra, that's when we have that little bit of leakage.
0: And I think that at some point, someone told me to do kegels 25 times a day, Uh, 25. And, And I took it as quick flicks. So I've been doing quick flicks since I was, I don't know, like 19 or something. Yeah, I think and that's I didn't, good. I think, and that's what helped me be at a place where I could now develop something a little different, yeah. but I didn't even, I didn't really know there was something. I just knew quick flicks and I didn't, okay. they didn't even use that language. They just said kegels and I was like, yeah.
1: okay. This is it. But that's, <laughs> oh my, that's wonderful that you were doing that at 19. Yeah, I remember like people would say, do it at red lights. Nobody yeah. will know. That's so great. That is so great. Yeah. I mean, we we need to be starting these when we're younger, for sure. You know, just to even have the pelvic floor awareness that it exists, different than what we're taught in school.
0: I know, because we're really not taught this in school, right? No. Yeah. So that's why you're here. And I'm I'm so happy, because (laughs) I think people just don't know. Um, Okay, let's see. Is there... An, an equivalent of the pelvic floor for men, and what does it look like?
1: That is such a great question. So um, luckily I can answer that because I do work with men as well on pelvic floor. So yes, the men have a pelvic floor. So um, again, this is where a picture would be so wonderful, but um, there, it's, it's kind of almost the same-ish to some degree. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So we still, you know, they still have the anal sphincter area. Um, Then they still have the place in the middle uh, where everything kind of connects. And then where our muscle would wrap around the vaginal opening, their muscle kind of um, wraps around the base of the penis. And so there's functions to, you know, be able to move the penis um, and ejaculation and So how do they do exercises? Same exact way.
0: Ah. Yeah. But they don't get any quick flicks, do they? Yes, they do. Is it with the penis? So it's just with the muscle. Okay. The penis
1: might be moving when they do it. (laughs) Okay, yeah, that is so. So, when they do their quick flicks, you know, where we as women might feel more of our tailbone, um, or maybe a little pull on the labia and the, the clitoral area, they will feel the pull on the penis and sort of it'll literally move the penis. Okay, yeah,
0: um, and the vaginal, op- the vaginal opening can open and close during a quick flick, right?
1: Yes, for sure. Well, I, I it can get more narrow. Okay. Not necessarily close, but it can get more narrow.
0: That's a good, that's, yeah, it's
1: not yeah. Gonna close. And it's just, it's just, and it's different for everybody. Like, so somebody who's had um, like a forceps assisted delivery, they're, they're, um, well, it's we called a hiatus, but their, you know, inside um, distance um, might be a little wider. So when they close um, and do that contraction, you know, it might be less effective as to really narrowing that opening. But that's also another good like, visual in your, in your brain is to think of, okay, I have this circle down there and I'm gonna narrow that opening. Um, so that's another thing. But everybody's, um, I don't wanna say grip strength, but their ability to contract all the way around and their grip strength or their squeeze strength um, can be very different depending sure. on, yeah everything that they've gone through. And we're all shaped so differently yeah. I mean, and right? you'll feel it different like some people feel it like top to bottom some people feel it coming in from the sides some people feel the lift um, the biggest thing is if you're if you're not feeling the things that I'm describing um, you know you might benefit from looking into a little bit more of um, you know what what your pelvic floor is doing with a, um, a professional
0: okay team. and maybe um, we can put links to diagrams in the show notes yeah. Okay, Um, So what can go wrong? I know a lot of things can go wrong, but what are some of the things people might look out for? The symptoms? Mm,
1: Okay. Yeah. So I think we take, I think we brush off just general leakage. You know, sometimes when I ask a patient, you know, um, maybe they're coming for a lower back pain and I say, well, you know, do you leak urine? Oh, just, you know, just here and there, just a little bit. And it may not be bothersome, but you know that's a sign that something's going on with the pelvic floor. So even that transient leakage that doesn't really happen all the time—that um, is a sign, not that anything's going wrong, but that there's changes happening. You know, it could be changes hormonally. So perimenopausal, menopausal, we, are, we atrophy as we go through those those transitions in life, and and the and we have the changes in estrogen. So that <clears throat> contributes to muscle atrophy. So. For some people, that onset of urinary leakage, you know, how however minimal it is, could be an indicator that there's muscular strength changes or atrophy changes. Um, for other women, you know, if it's postpartum, uh, you know, their muscle may be well off, but there may be some structural damage to have, you know, during um, the labor and delivery. And so there, there's, you um, you know, some rehab that needs to happen there where you have to have other, you know, uh, area muscles kind of help pick up the the slack for that muscle that was damaged. Um, So And again, kegels? Yeah, kegels, very focused, very focused kegels. Um, So you want to make sure that you're feeling it where you're supposed to feel it. Um, And then you can add it, incorporate it into other things. But so stress incontinence is is the most common form. Um, So it affects, you know, Over over women in general, it's about twenty percent of women have are affected um, with stress incontinence. But that number increases to thirty percent just in your midlife, and then up to forty seven percent when you're later in life. That's almost fifty percent. Yeah, that's amazing.
0: Yeah, Uh, I noticed after I gave birth, if I if my bladder was really full and I sneezed, I would leak. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, that's new," um, <laughs> but I do think all of that is getting better and better the yeah. more I drink in the public floor, which yeah. is just such great
1: news that we can do something about. I it. I know it's a, it's definitely a blessing.
0: There's um, a couple of pamphlets I wish they handed out when you left the hospital with your baby. Uh, that's one of them.
1: Yes, I agree. <laughs> what you didn't expect after expecting, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. yes, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. So, so incontinence, you know, whether it's stress incontinence, like I said, when you laugh, cough, sneeze or jump or lift um, versus urge incontinence. So urge incontinence is another um, thing where women can, or men, um, can experience urinary urgency. So they'll get this sudden bladder pang, um, And then as they're trying to make their way to the bathroom, that that sense of urge has become so overwhelming that you know the, the gates just open and and the urine comes out um, and so that is you know that's basically termed overactive bladder and so we're not sure if it's the bladder being overactive really or is it the the bladder urge and the pang is just so strong that the pelvic floor muscles can't overcome that um, so that's a lot of times uh, people end up starting with off with medications, and they they work for a little while, but um, but that's just calming down the bladder pangs. But the urge can still be there, um, and then the urgency can still be there, and they still leak. You know, maybe less, but it's just another form of, of leakage altogether.
0: So it sounds like the medical community needs a little pelvic floor education. Do you agree <laughs> with that? I mean, I, and that is not an insult, but it sounds like instead of giving medication, yeah. PT might be better
1: first. Is that right? But actually, yeah, that's actually true. Um, So yeah, the Urological Association, um, AUA, um, um, other um, nationally recognized associations really look at pelvic floor um, muscle training as the first line of of, um, treatment for stress incontinence or um, overactive bladder urge incontinence. So it really is the first line, Um, you know, and, and that's coming from the AUA, but you know, that it should be recognized across other professions too, though. So like primary care should recognize that. Um, OBGYN should recognize that, Um, you know, and it really needs to kind of be um, cross-cultured into those areas of practice because, um, you know, there's so much perfect opportunity when a woman goes for their annual visit at their OBGYN for that, that, physician to address their leakage. Ask the questions, you know, ask the questions. Do you leak when you laugh, cough, or sneeze? Do you leak um, without without, uh, warning or without um, any any, uh, indication that you have to go? Or, you know, do you leak on the way to the bathroom? Um, Or do you leak during exercise? Just so it could just be on a form, but that starts the conversation. The person can answer those questions in a safe, you know, safe situation and then talk about it.
0: Yeah, I think this would be a. It needs to be a part of medical school now, for I do, sure.
1: I do, and I think um,
0: I'm learning so much about the vulva and all the female equipment. I thought I thought it was called the vagina until about three weeks ago. So yeah. I, oh. I, I did, and to be honest, I'm learning so much, and I think that why why am I learning this at 46? Yeah. And I had pretty liberal parents. Yeah. You know, but I'm really learning the anatomy, my anatomy. Yeah, So I think it's, it's all involved, right? Just Absolutely. more
1: education. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's, it's something that if we can look at that, um, and, and just, you know, even be able to understand what to call things, too, you know, so learning about the vulva, and, and knowing that the vulva is different from the vagina is really, really helpful. Because again, if, if, Things down the road happen, and um, you know you feel uh, pain or discomfort, or or um, you know you, you end up having uh, a muscle spasm in there. It just feels so strange. Um, you're going to be able to identify it a little bit better. You're going to be like, "Oh, inside my vagina hurts," versus my vulvar hurts. You know that's more maybe more on the outside. So it just it the more you know, the the better it is for you to be able to talk that. Um, to a physician or provider when you have an issue. Okay, definitely. So tell us about um sexual pain and pelvic floor dysfunction. Yeah, so um, that is definitely getting more recognition in the literature. Um, a lot of times it's it's incontinence and um, constipation issues and prolapse issues that are kind of housed under that. Uh, umbrella term of pelvic floor dysfunction, but um, sexual dysfunction is really becoming more prominent. And I think, you know, there's been such a, um, a focus on ED for men, um, you know, that we're starting to realize that, you know, women are experiencing sexual dysfunction as well, you know, and a lot of times that relates right back down to the pelvic floor muscles, you know, again. After having a child vaginally, um, or with pelvic surgeries, or, or unfortunately with pelvic cancers, a lot can change in that connective tissue in the in in the, the uh, pelvic floor. And so, we know through studies that if the pelvic floor has a little bit more tone and more strength, that sex is better, um, you know. And so, if you, I encourage everybody to take a look at what the clitoris looks like because. We think about the clitoris as this little thing on the outside that has this little hood over it. But do you realize that the pelvic um, the clitoris is like this big on the inside? I know I'm I, showing you with my. I know diagrams in the show. Notes. I know, right? So the clitoris, it's good,
0: it's good, ladies. You're gonna like. Yeah,
1: it. it's it's huge. It really is huge, um, on the inside, and so that. Is surrounded by all the muscles and all of the connective tissue. So the more we contract those muscles, the more we are working even the clitoral structures. Um, we're getting more nutrition to the, to the, to the tissue. Um, and then that can help kind of build up or hype up uh, um, the bulk of the tissues over time.
0: And I just learned that the clitoris is the only organ that's purpose is only for pleasure. Yep. That is all the clitoris is there for, and there's no other body part that's just for pleasure. Yeah, that's so guys, cool. Guys don't even have it. So, sorry, guys. Sorry. Sorry, not sorry.
1: Not <laughs> <laughs> oh, one for us. Yeah, because come on,
0: because yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Especially with the perimenopause and the pen- menopause, and um, which maybe we'll get back to in a second. What about endometriosis? What's that all about?
1: So endometriosis, um, that is more of a condition that happened. That's definitely a gynecological condition, right? And so what ends up happening is um, uh, layers of the endometrial lining. So the lining that wraps around the inside of the uterus um, can fluff off basically and and, and travel outside of the uterus. Um, And it can attach to certain places. So it can attach, I, I think they've, they've done studies where they found it in different places they've identified it but it can attach to the bladder it can attach to um one of your your gi organs like your intestines um it can yeah it can attach to um what do i want to say like other organs maybe like appendix and things like that and unfortunately that can cause adhesions and because it's endometrial tissue and and the uterus is, um, driven by hormones, you know, that, that whole process of menstruation is driven by, um, uh, hormone regulation, basically, um, wherever that tissue lands, um, it responds hormonally. So, you know, you might experience significant discomfort, um, at that area where that, um, endometrial tissue has caused adhesions or, uh, yeah, that's pretty much what they call them as adhesions. Um, and so that becomes uncomfortable. A lot of women can have endometriosis though and not experience any discomfort. So it's it's it really does vary from person to person. Um, there's other things associated with endometriosis, but you know, a lot of times um, it's a culmination of a bunch of different symptoms that somebody experiences during their cycle. And Some physical lesson. therapy is, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, physical therapy can help, yeah. So exercises can help, mindfulness, you know, uh, just giving space to the uterus and your pelvic floor and um, stretching and doing gentle stretching, nourishing stretches and exercises can really, really help minimize um, the the discomfort that comes with it. Because, you know, when you think about something adhering down, um, that's going to limit movement and all of our internal organs, they all slide and glide. And so the more we do certain motions uh, and exercises that permit that slide and glide to happen internally, um, the more we're at least keeping that endometrial tissue mobile.
0: And something you just said struck me, mindfulness. I was Mm. thinking for things like stress incontinence, I would imagine mindfulness, stress relief, however people can do it would help, right?
1: Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, a lot of people notice that when they are more stressed, that their leakage is worse. But just I mean, with urge incontinence, just not knowing when it's going to happen and where you are when it happens um, is very yeah. stressful. And so the first thing I teach um, people who are dealing with urge incontinence is to be mindful. That's the first thing I start with. So I teach them about how the urge really comes over us in, in like a wave. Um, and so I, you know, make the, the hand signal, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, making the wave. Um, and so I say, you know, we start here. And then as and I, for everybody out there, I'm, I'm just making like a, a big bell curve kind of thing. And so you're starting at one end of the bell curve. And, you know, as your symptoms of urge ramp up quickly, we tend to run to the bathroom, right? But it's when we run to the bathroom that sends off like the 911 messages in the brain. And then sometimes we'll you know, the body's not able to overcome that message in it. And and we leak on the way. So what I try to teach my patients to do is that when that, when you start feeling that ramp up, stop what you're doing, do some quick squeezes that calms down the bladder. It changes the message of nine one one to, okay, I've got this. And then I say, just talk to yourself. I've got this. Take that deep breath right? So we always practice the deep breathing and then walk calmly. The goal is to get them over that, that curve, get them over that peak so that they can just stay nice and calm and walk calmly to the bathroom. And it usually works. Amazing. Yeah. But that's all mind over matter, mind over bladder. It makes <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I just
0: learned with sleep too, that the calmer you are and more relaxed, your bladder will be yeah. calm and will hold more. Yes. So you can sleep through the night versus yeah. if you're stressed in your sleep and you're, then the bladder is going to get active so that a lot of people can hold it through the night, but they believe they can't.
1: You got it. Yes. Yes. And so, you know, if we're so conditioned to listening to that urge all day long, you're going to do it at night. You're going to do it at night.
0: I was just going to say just last night, I had a moment. I'm like, no, you don't. You you do not have to get up. Fine, and Uh, I didn't. I got up in the morning and I was like, I didn't go once. I usually go once, and I was like, I
1: didn't go last night. Amazing! (laughs) So that's so good, and that that's mind over bladder, right? Because you told yourself, I don't need to. It might require that you have to change position. You know, it might, ha- it might require that you have to take a couple of deep breaths and it might require that you have to talk to yourself. But if you want to make it through the night, which we should be able to do up until around our later sixties, mid to late sixties, we should be able to make it through the night. Um, then, then the- it'll get harder in the sixties. It could. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, Cause we're going to have atrophy. The bladder gets a little more irritable
0: with things. Mm-hmm. What if we've been doing all our kegels and taking care of it? Is it possible we... We'll be okay. Okay. Fingers crossed there.
1: Fingers are crossed. And so my, the biggest message that, you know, I always try to um, make it across to anybody that I talk to when it comes to pelvic health is that what you put into it now is going to help you later. You know, that's, that's my brand. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta do the work now. Um, Before something happens, you know, and then when it comes to later on in life, we don't know what's, you know, how we're going to age. We, you know, we just know that we have a lot of control over it. This is one thing we can absolutely control
0: graceful. I love it, and exactly that's my, that's my thing. Do it now. Make good choices yeah. now, because yes. we don't know what's going to happen. Right? Anything you want to say about perimenopause or menopause? We mentioned it a little bit, but I know it's
1: a huge topic. But yeah. while we're here, no, I love it. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, um, I'm the menopause maven. You um, are okay. I didn't even yep. know that. I am the menopause <laughs> maven, and um, so I don't post as much as I am supposed to, um, but. Uh, so again, perimenopause, just crucial changes that are happening. You know, there is definitely the fluctuations. A lot of times we're in perimores, we don't, ugh, perimenopause, and we don't even know that we're there. You know, I remember when I first started out with perimenopause symptoms, I was like, you know, why am I having difficulty sleeping? Like, why am I getting up at three in the, after, in the morning, um, uh, in the early morning? Oops. Um, why? I'm trying to think of, it's been it's been a few years, so I'm trying to think of like what was the most annoying things. It was definitely the sleep. I think the sleep disruption was the worst. Um, and then I would oh that's right. I would have issues with heart palpitations. So I, I went through the whole thing with the heart monitor, you know, wear the halter monitor. Then I would have um, weird like sharp sharp pains um, in my breast. I'm like oh my god, what's going on there? Um, and then when I finally like really. Delved into understanding more of menopause. I took a course, a, a wonderful car, course uh, by two lovely friends of mine who, who are very dedicated to the area and are trying to teach um, health professionals on, you know, on, on a larger scale. What are their names? Um, so it's Lidos and, Le- uh, and Snowden. So Karen Lidos. And Karen Snowden, Karen and Karen, um, they would be amazing to have on. I'm thinking. Um, okay. Um, yeah, and they would they would be a lot better talking about it, about me. But um, so when I had those symptoms, what I learned from the course, and I'm like, oh my gosh, everything that I've been through in the last two years was part of perimenopause. But nobody said anything to me. Do you right. mind sharing your age, like, or yeah, what you went um, through perimenopause? Okay, so a little bit early. Yeah, so I'm actually going to be 50 on, what's the 12th? Is that Friday? Mm. What's today? Wednesday. Yeah. I'm going to be 50 on Friday. Happy birthday. Thank you. I Thank love you. it. Thank Beautiful you.
0: Beautiful woman here.
1: Thank you. I wish you could see
0: her with her dewy skin and my
1: goodness. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I must have started around 48. Is that early? Did that seem early? Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, no, I would say men- perimenopause. No, not that. But um, so here's the weird thing. I mean, uh, so technically my blood work just showed that I was menopausal. Um, and so I'm using um, the e-ring to help with um, vaginal changes. Related. What's the e-ring? The e-ring is an estrogen ring. Okay. Yeah. So it's um, it has a little bit of estrogen pro- and progesterone. Some women use it as birth control. And it's just like this little round ring um, that you can slip right into the vagina, um, vaginal canal, and it just just releases hormones over, you know, you can either keep it in for the whole time, or you can keep it in for three weeks, take it out, um, get a period, put it back in, a, a new one. Uh, and But basically, I'm using it just to keep my pelvic floor and my tissues in there, Minip- like Trying to minimize the atrophy changes because as you go through the process of menopause and you you have the changes in estrogen and progesterone, there's atrophy, there's dryness. The vaginal dryness can be like the worst part of menopause because that puts your sex life to a screeching halt. You this know? is why
0: we have the clitoris, everybody. Yeah. That yes. We go through this.
1: Exactly. Yes. So we have the out, at least we have what's on the outside because that's connected to the inside as well. So, yes, I love that. Um, so, yeah. And most women go through, like, finish menopause um, or, you know, end up not getting their period for that full year um, anywhere between age 51 and 52. Okay. So. So I would say I'm early, early, but I feel like it's early. I'm like, I wanted two more years.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I feel like I have um the begin at F- forty six, the beginning of perimenopause,
1: Just huh. kinda like the hints. Yeah. I think it can start as early as I'm so bad with numbers, but I, I honestly, I think it can, you can, you can start feeling some symptoms as early as 35. Um, you can definitely have changes as early as 40, um, but things start to accumulate, I think after 45 for sure.
0: i look forward to that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, so all these hormonal changes yes. and like you were saying, it's that they affect the pelvic floor.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: And it sounds like at this point, we'll need to get help from a few different medical professionals. And what do you suggest? Like, who should we see when we start to hit perimenopause and menopause?
1: Well, I mean, I I guess it depends on the issue, you know, because sometimes women will say, like, I have a really strong Kegel. And um, I evaluate them. And yes, they are absolutely right. Uh, They have a really strong Kegel. They're like, but why do I leak? you know, and at that point, you know, I'm taking in consideration other, other factors like their age, like where are they in their, their menopausal status? You know, is it just atrophy? Like you can still have a strong Kegel, but if the muscles are thin, the muscles are thin, you know, and that, that doesn't provide as well, uh, good, uh, of a contraction or squeeze or compression around the urethra as, as, it could, if it was a little bit bulkier, um, of a muscle. So that's where, you know, it's not necessarily strength per se only, but it could be, you know, the, the tone of the tissue. And so we do lose tone during that perimenopausal and menopause time. So, um, I'm sorry, what was the question?
0: Oh, just like, so if we're losing tone in our tissue, who do we see or who do we... Well, that
1: would I would say physical therapist. That would definitely physical therapist. Okay. There's, yeah, so yeah, when it comes to that. So if there's other things that are going on, more more flags would be if there's burning with urination, um, you know, those kind of um, urological things you'd want to see your GYN, your PCP or your urologist. Um, I mean, I think it's always good... I think I think you, your urologists tend to be a little bit more connected um, to the pelvic floor, believe it or not. Um, and so sometimes when you are having urological symptoms, that might be uh, the best place to start um, if you don't have access to a pelvic floor physical therapist. Um, but the, if you think it's a muscular related issue, like you know leaking when you laugh, cough, or sneeze, um, then starting off with a physical therapist is is a great. It's never a waste of time, for sure. You're going to learn so much, but that therapist is um, equipped with being able to know when referring out is appropriate. So they will refer you to, you know, urologist or gynecologist or back to. Your primary care physician, if they think that there's something a little bit more going on um, than just your general urinary leakage or or issues,
0: I'm so happy that we are helping to normalize this.
1: Yeah, it's
0: it's really cool. It's a good
1: discussion, I, right? I've never seen anybody say, "Ugh, I don't want, I don't want to hear about that." No, um, you know, <laughs> they're like, "Oh, this is so interesting." Agreed. And we all,
0: we all have this equipment. Yeah, we all need absolutely. this discussion. Yeah. And um, Okay. So my it's
1: last- I want to talk about at the dinner table though.
0: I know, unless you, unless you live at my house. Like I said, <laughs> my 12 year old son knows so much. Uh, <laughs> so do my kids. Oh right? my gosh. Unbelievable. Um, okay. So my last question for my guests is always, what are your three tips for aging thoughtfully, no matter- our budgets?
1: Yeah. Um, th- that is just, that's such a great question. I love that question. Thank you. Um, you know, I bring it back to pelvic health. A lot of times we put it off, you know, we are like, Oh, I leak a little, or, um, you know, I'm having issues with, with urinary or, or, or even constipation, but it's not a necessity. It's not like, I don't have to take care of it right now. And we put it off. And so my tip is, take care of it. Now you, you are a necessity. So your pelvic health is a necessity. You are a necessity. Take care of it. Now, like I said, because you need it to be there for you later on. Um, And then Kegels are free. Mm -hmm. So, you know, on any budget, we can just do Kegels. Um, They're free. They, you know, as as long as you know how to do them, right. Um, But it's, it's a good fix for most issues, you know, aside from issues with pelvic pain um, and sometimes constipation, but Kegels are, are really good. Um, and you know, I, again, just know where you where your pelvic floor is now, um, that so that you can understand the transition that it may go through as you go through different decades of your life. Like get a get an understanding of what it is now. A little baseline. Yeah, baseline. Right. And so that as you age gracefully, you know, you're taking your pelvic floor along with you. And, you know, you're we put so much effort into, um, you know, trying to eat healthy and um, and exercise as much as we need to or or is recommended. Um, Just take the pelvic floor along for that ride.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Okay. so um, where can we find you? So I, um, that's exciting because I actually do virtual online coaching for um, menopause, uh, perimenopause, menopause women. So anybody who's dealing with pelvic floor issues, I do online coaching and you can find me at fullcirclepelvichealth.com. Okay. That's fabulous. Yes. And I just opened a practice in my state. So I have my own pelvic health clinic. It's the only um, one that's specifically um, geared towards uh, male and female pelvic floor issues, but it's 100% pelvic health. Um, hopefully a little wellness down the line, um, but um, it's specifically pelvic health. So uh, it's Congratulations, That's thank amazing. You. Yes, thank you. And what's the website? And I'll put it in show notes. But yeah, full circle pelvic health. .com. And the full circle really, you know, it, it's, um, transfer it's all, it's about transformation, you know, and, um, initially I had like three circles coming together because, you know, there's, there's three big stages in life. You know, you have your adolescence and you have your midlife and then that menopause and, and um, postmenopause um, time. Um, so, you know, we are, we, uh, we end up going around in a circle and coming back to who we are. That person may be the same or different, but we've all learned so much along that journey, right? Yes. And so, you know, just being a physical therapist and um, starting off right in women's health and pelvic health right from the beginning um, to the point where I'm opening my own clinic and working with other women, I feel like, you know, it's part of coming full circle in my career. And
0: I love that too, because um, I really want, one of my tenets is that we go through transitions and I love that like you're turning 50 and you're starting your, this amazing practice and it's a culmination of all your wisdom. It's so yeah.
1: Cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm like, why not? Heck For yeah. job and <laughs> practice in the pandemic and right before I'm 50. So yeah. Um, well, this
0: has been so incredibly informative. I'm so appreciative of your time. Thank you. It's so much fun. I love
1: talking about pelvic floor and pelvic health.
0: Yeah, thank you, Melissa. And um, happy birthday. Thank you. Thanks, Marissa. It's so thank nice to see you. you. And um, yeah, well, we'll stay connected. Okay, that sounds perfect. Okay, bye, Melissa. Thanks, bye. This is the best gig in town. I love podcasting, meeting people like Melissa, and having these conversations. I learn so much and meet all these great people. So thanks so much for tuning in. I hope that you learned a lot. Melissa is going to come back because she told me that... the pelvic floor can be responsible for constipation, which unfortunately some people suffer from their whole life. So we'll have her back and we'll get that info. Don't forget to enter the giveaway for the gorgeous ball. Thank you so much again for our sponsor, TuneUp Fitness. To enter, go to my Instagram at marissa.kennerson. Tag a friend who might enjoy this episode or age thoughtfully in general. Entries must be in the U.S. And let's see, if you want to drop me a line, my email is mkennerson at gmail.com. I always love to hear from you. If you have any questions, let me know, comments about the show. Thanks for tuning in. I hope that you feel a little more grounded, a little more hopeful, and a little more empowered around aging. Spread the word, tell your friends, and I will see you next time. Thanks for listening.